Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. atop of the UPL. Shakhtar completed a famous comeback in the Champions League and Mudrick is off and running in the Premier League. There's been plenty of crazy happening since we recorded last and we're back as a trio, ready to break down everything for you across the leagues. European competitions and the upcoming international break too. Brace yourselves in everyone for the latest episode of Ukraine Plus Football. Now, where where else to start this episode? But Shakhtar's incredible comeback win last week in Belgium against Royal Antwerp. For those of you who were living on another planet, Shakhtar went in at the break 2-0 down and... Now, was it a masterclass? We don't know, but full-time, 3-2 to Shakhtar. No matter what our opinions are, thank God for the coefficient. Now, Andrew, you miraculously appeared in Belgium for what was less than a 24-hour stint, but your eyes were in the stadium. Now, how good was it, or was it a little bit lucky? I was actually uh, only there for about five or six hours um, in total. Uh, bus in, bus out. But anyway, I'm happy I went. Uh, I I didn't have too high expectations, but but I was expecting something better than that first half, in all honesty. I was under complete, I don't know, maybe not say shock, but just frustration. Frustration at how poor uh, Shakhtar were in that opening 45. It was very much similar to what we've been seeing under Van Leuven in the UPL, just lack of ideas, lack of real game plan. And also just a couple of defensive mistakes that allowed Antwerp to score those two goals. Shakhtar had like this five minute period in that first half where they looked like, oh, Here's a few chances created with Zubkov and um, Sudakov. But ultimately, it just looked completely flat. And I mean, even after going 2-0 down, which I think was around 30th minute or something, like Van Leeuwen was nowhere to be seen in terms of in on the technical area doing anything similar to how he did it against Porto, which was another quite underwhelming match where similarly Shakhtar went down early in the first half due to defensive mistakes, but really couldn't bring themselves back to do anything really other than uh, a sole consolation goal, which came as an equaliser initially against Porto here. It was literally, if you don't, if you don't come back from this uh, European football in the spring is looking like a very hard uphill task, but they did it. Like you said, Adam, uh, Daniel Sakan finally put his Champions League woes behind him, or let's say <laughs> European competition woes behind him, uh, put that <laughs> open goal miss against Celtic last season behind him per se, when he actually tapped in an open goal for the winner, um, celebrated emphatically standing on the advertising hoardings in front of the Shakhtar away end, which was pretty cool to see. And similarly, he looked a bit more confident, but there were a number of chances in the first half they probably could have done a bit better with. And looking at all of the goals in general, even Rakitsky's free kick, all of, the, free kick. all of them had a factor of good fortune in them. The first goal that Shakhtar scored had uh, the goalkeeper sort of punched it, flapped at it. Sakan ended up sort of heading home into not an empty net, but a disorientated net where there was about 
three or four players just in and around and not being really able to do anything. Deflected free kick from Rakitsky, 2-2. And then the third one, which was the craziest of the lot, the ball was going completely wide. The Antwerp goalkeeper somehow clawed it back onto the pitch, straight to Nazarena's foot, who just squared it for Sakan to tap in. And yeah, fair play. Shukhtar sort of were very much more up for it in the second half. But I feel that a lot of it is probably down to an experience of Antwerp. That was their first ever Champions League home game. Um, maybe the event got to them. They had a number of experienced players, of course, like Toby Alderweireld and stuff, but he's pretty old now and they had a lot of youngsters too. And I think the occasion probably got the better of them. Shakhtar just put in a bit of that experience that, that their squad has over the past few years in Europe, especially after last season, and got the job done just about as well. Because let's not forget, more good fortune came in the 96th minute when Stepanenko handballed it. Not really on purpose. It was because his arm was a bit high and he had, the ball hit his head and then hit his hand. Whatever. It was a penalty given the rules of how the game goes these days. And Alderweireld skewed it wide. So um, let's just say this is probably the most important win of Shakhtar's season so far, in my opinion. They've not been doing too well in the league, to be honest. They lost to Vorskla. Uh, of all teams who are the most yo-yo team around at the board this season um, in terms of what team is going to turn up there. As well as that, they've drawn against Ruch and Krivbas. And there just seems to be an instability at the, at the club. Like at that halftime interval, I was talking to a few people uh, in the media room, uh, Irena Kuzupa, who's been on the pod for a number of times, and a few others. And we were just saying, bloody hell, surely did he bring his big suitcase with him, uh, Van Leeuwen, <laughs> on the way to Antwerp, just so that he could have a shorter journey home back to uh, the Netherlands? <laughs> Looks like he hasn't. After the game, Darius Serna said, oh, we've got every confidence in him uh, yesterday, today and tomorrow, or something like that. Let's just see how long that's going to last, because the next two games coming up, Barcelona. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, obviously, Serna can say what he likes, but as you've said there quite rightly, we've watched Shakhtar this season. Ray, going to come to you. First of all, great to see you again. Um, you watched a lot of Shakhtar, a lot of UPL matches earlier this season in particular. And I mean, compared to where Shakhtar were 12 months ago and... Yeah, the great win against Leipzig and the like in the UCL. Where do you see it going wrong this year? And do you think this job, this victory in Antwerp, has allowed Van Leeuwen to keep his job for maybe another month? Or will it sort of be Ukrainian football and he'll get the season? Uh, hi, Adam. Hi, guys. Pleasure to be here again. Greetings from Mexico City. Um, yeah, naturally, it's Ukrainian football, as you said, Adam. No, no matter how you lose, how much you lose, as long as you have the uh, protection from higher-ups, you're good. And we know that the higher-ups are directly involved in the coach change in the mid-season in Shakhtar. So, well, good for Jovicovic. I mean, his uh, series, I would call it his series on Paramount Plus called Football Must Go On, which I recently saw. And you mentioned the Leipzig win last year. Yeah, it was impressive. It was all cinematic. But, I mean, he's doing well now in Arabic. He's making money and, you know, for future. So let's concentrate on what we have with Shakhtar. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that Antwerpen lacked experience in Europe because, like, look at Borussia Mönchengladbach who beat Shakhtar 0-10 in two matches. Uh, look at Ajax before under Den Haag. They reached the semifinal and they were like kids, you know? So I wouldn't go as far as saying that they don't have experience, but they don't have a coach, I would say, because Mark von Bommel, he was a Gattuso in a football pitch, you know? And Gattuso, he kind of like grew up in his coaching in Napoli and stuff, but von Bommel, maybe he, he has some homework to do and it showed. With Shakhtar in UPL, I mean, yeah, they had hard time with Vorskla, especially with Oberlin as well. And um, I think it's uh, not even about like a lot of people said, oh, you know what? They just went out in the second half, forgot about the game plan of Van Leeuwen and started playing the youngsters. I don't really believe that. So I wouldn't go as far as say that they have troubles in the dressing room. 
Um, the, the difference is that Van Loven is more like a strict coach. I mean, he wouldn't be, you know, um, showing off in front of the youngsters. He has rules. And as it, it takes time to adapt. But let's face it, the Shakhtar players have no other choice. Just like I said in the beginning of my speech. I mean, this guy is protected. Well said. I Like you said there, compared to 12 months ago, only Mudrick has left the club from the sort of start, starting 11. No, I lied. Uh, and Trubin. And Trubin. Silly me. Uh, well, I'm looking looking down here. Traore's out injured, but how much of an impact did he have last season? Uh, are they missing him? They've had some injuries at central defence. Has it been the recruitment that went on in the summer that has caused this sort of decrease in output? In Andrew, where where do you see it having gone wrong sort of fundamentally? Is it a weakness in squad, injuries impacted, or, you know, the management? Um, Probably a mix, all in all. I don't think you can fully blame the recruitment process from a squad perspective. Yes, they've brought in a few players that aren't up to scratch for the Champions League in particular, like Miroshi, the Tanzanian guy that they brought in. He's, whilst he gets lots of engagements on Instagram and Twitter for the club, which is inadvertent anyway, he's not to a level to really be featuring in the Champions League as we saw uh, against Porto, where he was struggling there. He's been struggling in a number of other games in um, the UPL against Vorsko in particular. I think he didn't have his best game. Centre-back is also a big problem um, for Shakhtar at the moment with, uh, well, Rakitsky and Matvienko played in the Antwerp game. Rakitsky was at fault for the first goal um, after sort of just being dispossessed and sort of taking too much time on the ball. He's 34 now. I mean, he was been way past his best for a number of years now. And the fact that he's obviously the starting centre-back alongside Matvienko, who similarly has not been at his best over the past sort of nine months or so. But I feel that that's probably also to do with the kind of lower quality that he finds himself around him, um, which means that he's got less, let's say, security and when he makes those mistakes, they're laid bare a lot more because there's other people aren't allowed to pick up. So obviously there's Chichrinsky, who's also arrived as sort of this parachute temporary player for a season, who's similarly, what, 36 or something? Super old. He's not going to be really relied on properly as a starter. Bondard, we're waiting to return from his neck injury that he picked up like, you know, a couple months ago. I think he should be back at some stage this month, potentially or towards the start of November or something, which I think is a positive from the start. But similarly, Bondar has his episodes too. And I feel that probably the best defender that Shakhtar have got at the moment is is Konoplya, or the most consistent per se. And that's mainly due to the fact that he's relatively good going forward, because um, he also similarly has some lapses defensively. So it's going to be difficult I think for them this season. And like you said, Adam, yeah, there is a, I think you can't put too much blame on the personnel because a lot of it is the same. So obviously you've got Zubkov starting right wing. Usually they've not really found a replacement for Mudrik or anything close to that. Like left wing, I think is a problem area. So they've got Chris give um, Kashchuk plays there sometimes in the, in the UPL, but he's not trusted for the Champions League for some reason. Um, in the Antwerp game, Van Leeuwen only used one sub, and that was Marianne Schwedt, who came on for the final sort of 10 minutes, including added time. It's like, what was that down to? Not 100% sure. Um, however, I feel that if Marianne Schwedt can get back to his best, he'll be a big boost to the team. It's just that we know that he's very injury prone. I mean, he's just coming back from another injury. How long is he going to last for? Shrugging my shoulders there. So you, you never know. But um, I, I think that Shukhtar will obviously still com be competing in the in the UPL. There's no doubt about that. It's just that when you actually watch them on the pitch, 
Van Leeuwen just seems to have this lack of, uh, I don't know how you'd even call it, the the lack of that motivation, the, the lack of those motivational skills that someone like Jovicovic had. Do you, do you mean pizzazz? Yeah, pizzazz. Let's just say pizzazz. Oh, I probably like maybe not. But I mean, it's just the presence in this technical area where he's, where he's got the ability to shout at someone, but it's like, it's not aggressive. It's literally just like, do your job, that kind of thing. He, he just doesn't seem to have that. Um, he's like more of a, either a tepid guy, either has to get his sort of coaching staff to do that. And like, think about it. The number, the last few coaches that Shakhtar have had, Ivitrich and even Deserbi was a crazy maniac on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Like he's like literally just, you know, just shouting sort of energetic. You see it in the, in the Premier League all the time as well. This is sort of reverting back to maybe a Castro, who's a, who was very tepid, insipid as well. Yeah, they got a couple of results. And I feel that what was good with Castro is that he understood everything more from a tactical point of view. So there was a vision in sort of maybe what he wanted to achieve. But similarly, that that final bit to, you know, get that extra sense out of the team just ended up lacking and that's why he left after two years and that's why Shakhtar didn't want him because they wanted something more and at the moment I know it's only two months three months into his career at Shakhtar but it seems like Van Leeuwen might be going down a similar path there uh, of a Castro where it it's unclear what what's going to happen going forward his track record even at Zoria they crumbled towards the end of the season. Yes, I know that third place is better than second in at the grand scheme of things, but you know, I feel that that it, the reason they finished third was actually more just to do with the fact that there was a, a, a bit of a gulf in class between them and even Dnipro one. And similarly, I just don't know that this this Antwerp win, it just feels a bit like an anomaly. I feel that it was the players just some sort of magic and combined with, like I said, the Antwerp problems from their side that it allowed it to happen. Like if it was any other team that had a bit more quality, um, a team that went 2-0 up, like for example, even Porto, Porto would have gone like they did in that first game. They went 3-1 up, game over, really. So completely sort of nullified Shakhtar's threat. Nothing was going to happen there. And that's something that I don't see this team being able to compete with. And the only thing I disagree with there is you're saying that Van Leuven's going down the Castro route. I think he's gone beyond that already. When I look at some of the, the results that are coming in, I don't think it got this bad under Castro, even in those final few months after he knew he was going. And I was thinking about thinking about the Zoria result towards the end of his route, uh, regime. And it's you could never imagine them losing to... You're going to tell me now they lost to Borsclub, but I could never imagine them, the Castro team, losing to Bors, drawing with Rook, you know, drawing with Kriv Bass. I know they're having a good season and everything, but sorts of results they're getting at the moment are, yeah, we're starting now. <laughs> and UPL rules for the UPL team, so it's... Uh, he he may get the year. Um, I think he will, like, because the problem with, with Shakhtar is, is that, look, think about them anyway. Like they never hit unless it gets like properly catastrophic where I think that there's like a, you know, a big chance of them potentially going out of, uh, out of Europe by with no spring football, for example. So if it comes to potentially, I don't know, them being out entirely, they might grow thin, but I feel that Shakhtar is more of like a, a long-term kind of project where they hardly ever sack anyone mid-season. And I think a lot of the people in Ukraine and Ukrainian media saying that the reason they didn't sack him prior to this, or even if they were going to sack him during this international break, they haven't done that because they don't have a replacement for him. And they usually have it a bit more planned out into what they're doing. Obviously, everyone was completely incensed by the fact that they got rid of Yavitrovich, but I feel that there was a plan behind that, regardless of whether we know what it is or not, there was some sort of thinking as to why they were doing that, what the long-term goal is, or at least sort of short-term goal over the next couple of seasons is. And I mean, Adam, like you say, Castro, what he had for him, he had a load of actually 
quality foreign players in his team back then, which also helps. So, mm-hmm. And Van Leuven doesn't have that, um, I guess, to fall back on here. He's got a lot less quality um, foreign players. Let's just see how the team progresses with some of these players coming back for injury. There might be a bit more stability. However, I feel that maybe this international break has come just at the wrong time following that win, just on the basis that I feel that that win might have something psychologically sort of help them go forward, you know, get a couple wins in the UPL or something and then carry on. But we don't know. They've got Barca twice coming up soon. Could be a rough one, to be honest, uh, regardless of how Barca are playing currently in La Liga. You know, you know what it looks like if Antwerp can go 2-0 up with, you know, some simple defensive mistakes. You're kind of worried what the likes of someone like Lewandowski can do if he's fit. Apparently, he's slightly injured at the moment. I think it's Barcelona. It's just a different level of European football at the moment. Uh, completely different level. Coming down a few notches on the European scale. Uh, sorry, you're added to the park coefficient as well. Uh, during this game. I mean, Riedelbeck, uh a team that I think sort of historically you would have said who. Uh, they first came into my existence when the, the ladies, uh, the old Jitlerbud, uh beat them in, in the group stage a couple of seasons, the, the, the ladies group uh, Champions League. But to be fair to them, they came all the way through that extra preliminary qualifying round of the Champions League way back in June and have got to the group stage first time for Iceland and although sorry they did struggle to to get it home you know one they'll just over the ocean there to the Faroes and clacks click you know Lille went to the Faroes and couldn't get the victory so we've got to take credit from that you know going up there it's going to be a hard place for the other teams in the groups to go to, you know, it'll be a bit different when we're back on mainland Europe and Zoria are hosting them later in the group stage, I would think. But you know, going to Iceland and getting a victory is a tough thing to do and not something that many people will be up, up for. So all credit to them for that. And yeah, the coefficient looks a little nicer at the moment, doesn't it? Um, 15th still looks a long way off, does look a long way off. I think we need both teams to make spring football. Maccabee Tel Aviv coming up for Zoria next. It's uh, It really is a coin toss, isn't it, Andrew? Is the game going ahead? Well, that's uh, going to be the interesting thing about it, isn't it? Whether Where the game's going to be even played. FIFA have uh, cancelled all the national team matches during this break? Well, so the game is meant to be taking place in Tel Aviv, of course, but Tel Aviv is southern Israel-ish, pretty close to uh, the Gaza Strip. I feel that UEFA will not be able to postpone or keep on postponing European matches with that with that in regard, so it might just be at a neutral venue, potentially, if worse comes to worse, like somewhere like Cyprus. Really, for Zoria, it's not really a problem, to be honest. They play all their games away from home anyway. So if anything, they should be the ones slight favourites um, because they've sort of adapted to life at war. And um, it might be the Maccabee Tel Aviv guys that are a bit more shaken, um, instability, not knowing what's going to happen next, albeit everything could be resolved come two weeks' time as well. Of course, we should have the Maccabee Tel Aviv coached by Robbie Keane, of course, these days. So uh, he was in the news, obviously, over the weekend, having been evacuated out with uh, Rory Delap, his assistant. And so question marks over how much training, how much preparation will be going in, how much time they're going to be able to spend together as a Quad over the next few weeks as well there, but it's it's a very it's a obviously fast moving um, event, very tragic um, event as well. And uh, Zoria will be watching closely as all of us will to see not obviously not only the implications are on football from a global uh, and a human perspective as well. You're listening to Ukraine post football UPL. 
UPL, obviously, we've torn Shakhtar to pieces there and then said their uh, coach will keep the job for the rest of the year. Um, but it certainly turned the UPL upside down, hasn't it? Uh, Ray, who's who's stood out for you so far this season? Uh, I mean, obviously, Krivbas and Polizia leading. Who would have expected that except for Andrew at the start of the season? It's logical. It's the president's club. So uh, everything is put uh, to Krivbas' effort. But they also have a decent coach, of course, Yuri Vernidup. But I would like to mention that the season is a marathon. Remember Colas, how they started the season in fla- in flashing, uh, guns blazing style. But yeah, it's um, nothing is eternal in the Ukrainian league. If we used to say that no one relegates, now we used to now we have to say that. So I'm pretty sure that given the first 15 match days in November or even the winter break, we should see something more um, common to our eye. So even we don't even know what's going to happen after the international break, like Andrew said. So it's probably not mm-hmm. a, the, the best timing for that. Um, I really like Chernomores. This season, they have a tactical vision. They use these uh, flanks, like they double them, they switch them, but they still lost to Kukribas because it's Ukrainian football. Um, it's funny because the latest uh, match, they didn't bring much goals. Nine teams didn't score any, and basically the only goals scored were exactly nine. So imagine that if we take all these goals and give them to those nine teams, maybe something would work. I don't know. Maybe we would be more excited, but we still love it, right? And we don't have any other, um, I mean, it's only the, the only league, the one and only, right? There's nothing, not much like it in, in the world. Um, yeah, we have the um, the international break. So we the one third of the season is upon us. Uh, I wouldn't make predictions because Alexandria disappoints us clearly. Um, I think that um, apart from the teams I already mentioned, Vorska has something to offer, which is my honest hope. But to round up this UPL uh, short summary of mine, um, and the expectations I had before the season have slightly uh, dropped, and now we're. We start seeing things more clearly. Yeah, I was, I was curious about that there at the end. Like you said, expectations have dropped. Andrew, do you feel the standard has dropped this season, or Krivbas, Chornomorets, Policia stepped up to the challenge? Mm, I probably will have to agree with Ray. I feel that the, maybe the standard has dropped a bit from the top sides, which has allowed those sides that were more in the middle to get closer to them, if that makes sense, which makes it a lot more of an even playing field. And hence we've seen Krivbas now leading after 10 games. Polisia, who I feel that will be in and around this top three for the whole season, to be honest, Um, just because they played a really good game against Dinamo. Dinamo were particularly poor in all honesty, they still won with 10 men against that Dynamo side. They've got this, I don't know, unorthodox target man in Budkivsky who somehow is able to score some of the most sort of crazy goals um, when he when he really shouldn't be getting a foot away or something like that. That also is combined by poor defending from Dynamo Kiev, of course, but it's just the kind of striker that he is kind of like a Ukrainian Andy Carroll in my opinion I feel that that would probably be a good uh, comparison if anyone was ever going to make one and similarly you know someone like Benny Makuana is kind of the player that Dinamo are lacking going forward Um, because Dinamo listen they've got three games in hand on every well on some of their nearest rivals I think on Krivbas for sure um, Shakhtar obviously didn't play at the weekend so they've got a game in hand as well but Dynamo have got three games in hand and if they win all three of those games per se they'll be like three or four points clear at the top so that is something to keep in mind but if we go and look at them playing against the likes of someone like Polisia if we take anything from that it's not guaranteed that they will win those three games in hand especially now that Andrea Molenkort is injured we have no idea what that injury is yet because Dynamo Kiev have not actually revealed 
what it is or how long he's out for. Maybe they might, by the time you're listening to this, maybe they might at some stage in the near future. But from what sort of some people are saying, like I read, I was listening to Tato to Care um, and a few other Ukrainian places, they think it's not going to be too short term. And at the end of the day, he is past it maybe for like top five leagues or something like that but he is instrumental in Dynamo's creativity like him and Bujalski are the two that really make anything tick and without Yerbolenko of course that all drops to Bujalski and Bujalski essentially has to sort of create things on his own and you know he scored two goals against Bolivia but other than that, his sort of teammates weren't able to feed him. And from there, you sort of hit a dead end. Like even Vanat, he had a strong start to the season, but he's kind of plateaued. He sort of dropped off in terms of his goal scoring and his consistency. Yes, Dinamo beating the likes of LNZ um, 4-2. But that only comes with a relative struggle. That's, that scoreline seems quite big, but the games aren't really as open as you think they are. And defensively, even though I predicted Dynamo to win the league this season, defensively, I feel that that that, that topic's been coming up up and again and again. Like Diachuk, Popov, um, Sirota, just that, that centre-back partnership, whoever plays there, Bilovar, it all looks very, very depressing. I say because those players aren't really of a Dynamo quality and they literally consistently every single game there is a mistake from them that probably is more of an unforced error or just some sort of inexperience or just lack of quality in general I think Dynamo as far as I'm aware at the moment they're averaging like per game like 2.8 goals conceded or something which is pretty mental I think it's like one of the most in the UPL like even the likes of Veres and um, those down at the bottom aren't conceding as many. They're just sort of losing or drawing games like nil, nil, one, nil, and all that kind of stuff. And now you've got to sort of weigh it up. Like, how are Dynamo going to get out of this rut? Because they don't really have anyone to sort of go into those spots until the winter transfer window. And as we know, Surkis doesn't really like buying players recently. Uh, or especially for any sort of decent amount of money, which means good quality. So it's like, who who, who are you going to get and where are you going to get them from? So that's another question. And Luchescu doesn't look like he's going anywhere. Obviously, they're only in one competition now, which we'll touch on in a, in a minute. They got, they got knocked out of the cup a few weeks ago. So this is their prime focus. They've got nothing else to play for. One game a week or maybe like two games a week over the next sort of, I don't know, few weeks when they need to play these three games in hand but for the team that they are and the squad that they have they should be doing a lot better and it's just mental that, that they are doing so poorly and I mean that Jan Molenko, um the fact that he's missing I think is a big loss and we'll, we'll see where things go from there to be honest um, just before we move on to Oberlein from Ray's perspective Deep Pro One were extremely lucky against Metalis 925 because they were not awarded, well, Metalis 925 were not awarded a Stonewall penalty for a handball on the line. And yeah, they got through that. Maximov seems to have brought some sort of stability, uh, certainty amongst the team. They're playing okay defensively. Svatok, Pichalion, that they've even got Ukraine recalls due to injuries, might I add, because they were actually initially in the reserve list. But the likes of Filipov, he's back amongst the goals. Um, he's actually scored in the in the UPL. Very nice goal, to to say the least. And as well as that, Bogdan Lednev, who's come in, he looks really good. He looks to be regaining a bit of the influence on the pitch that he used to have even back in the Zoria days. Maybe he's nowhere near that level that he, he used to show, but I feel that he's gradually getting there and it's going to be positive for the team uh, once he sort of maybe goes a bit further. And now that similarly Dnipro won, they don't have much to play for um, because they're out of Europe. They can claw themselves back in and around uh, that top five, top six spots will be interesting to see. 
Yeah, definitely. So it's been a unusual season, to put it mildly. Watching it feels like the league table jumps around all over the place. But 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 one thing we can always guarantee is Obelon will put in a performance, whether it's in the league or cup, that will be written down in folklore. I'm sat here now thinking back to one of our early pods when we celebrated the 10-year anniversary of an earlier historic win, and maybe in 10 years' time we'll be reminiscing about this season, right? Yeah, Adam, rightfully put, because that's what we were all afraid of. You know, we cannot live by these um, victories, and we cannot wait so much for the good things to happen, you know. But right now, as we are speaking at the moment, there is... um, uh, And only only one team representing Kyiv, proudly. And the Kyiv is currently white-green, I might add, uh, because we beat uh, Dynamo in the Cup. It was a Kyiv derby. It was uh, Ukrainian Super Classico. And uh, the most important thing from that, and from uh, all the next matches, because all the other matches with Natalist, 1925, and Minai for Obolon is the Champions League. It's a Champions League group because they wanted one nil each match. And as we see, since we have nine teams who cannot score a goal in UPL, this goal counts for five, you know? And if we look back in the end of the season, and still Obolon has 10 goals um, uh, against, which is exactly as much as Shakhtar and uh, Krivbas have. So that's something to think about. And that actually tells you everything about our football these days. As you said, Adam, it's an unusual season. But the most important thing which I got from these matches is Ivashenko's reaction, main coach of Obolon, who I um, accused of killing football uh, previously in the pod, uh, but he reacted with class. He didn't jump around. He didn't. He just clapped. He said respect to Dynamo. And that's that's the change for me. You know, you can look at the president, you can look at the administration, but the coach has this confidence, you know, and the other people just right now start, started saying, oh, you know what, we were wrong about Obolon. We were wrong about them being like complaining and stuff and accusing everybody but themselves. Well, let's take it easy, okay? Because Obolon football is all about that. We can disappoint you anytime we want. Um in the end, uh, yes, now, right now UPL is about teams like Minai, uh, Kolos, Obolon, LNZ, uh, because these teams play nil-nil. Uh, they don't want others to play football. And this is what we are here for, to watch how these teams conquer this extreme oppression. Right, this, this is a question to go out to all the listeners as well. Let's 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 set up a little poll. Um, when do you think by what they will call us score their next goal? Yeah, three nil nils in a row for them. And as I saw someone put on Telegram, Colos as in the two O's in their name stand for nil. Um there, there we go. But yeah, good stuff. Adam, what's uh, what has Persha and Druka been saying recently? It was interesting, like obviously listening to Ray there talk some of those teams. Would you say Manai Verez probably a standard lower than than the other teams around there? You know, whereas last year we were talking about the playoffs being quite competitive. I think the teams this year in the UPL that finish in those playoff positions will, will probably be a little bit stronger than the Persia teams this time around. If we take Ingolets and Carpati out of the equation, the standard this year does seem to be a little bit lower than in the last few editions of the PFL. Carpati running away with the Western Division, Ingolets markedly running away with the Eastern one. So when we get to the split, there should be a substantial gap between those two teams and the the rest of the top ten. Uh, that will go into the promotion group. So I'd, I'm already expecting those two to finish way ahead. Shout outs, though, have to be in particular Victoria Mikolivka, though, uh, the big shock shock in the cup um, this time around. All credit to them out there. And great to see football back in Sumi. Um, the stadium, you know, stadium being played in there. Spectators, I don't think, are being allowed back in yet um, in Sumi City, but it's great, great thing to see football 
coming alive again over in that part of the country. Um, Livy Beret, bit of a disappointment, struck with inconsistency. Um, they were one of our favourites, weren't they, going into the season and, yeah, seemed to have sort of slipped, slipped away and not looking so optimistic for them now. Over in the in the West, agribusiness of going about their business a little bit better again. My team, of course, have uh, settled into life now after a tricky start. I think it was no goals in their first four matches and then get walloped 7-0 in Ivana Frankivsk. And then have pulled out a few decent results. Bit bit of a tougher run at the moment. Lost to Carpati at the start of the turn and then to Epicentre last week. But hopefully we'll get some points back on there. When you look across again at the bottom half of the table, uh, Metalis Kharkiv, if they see out the season and if they're around in 12 months' time, they will definitely be playing in the Druha. Um, as over in the east, we have um, Kremlin in particular looking quite poor over there and struggling in that one. But it does seem there's about four or five teams battling to be the worst over in the eastern half, whereas the western half seems a touch stronger. And I would expect apart from Metalis Kharkiv, the rest of the Western teams to be safe and fighting for another season in the PFL. Persia Liga. Down in the Druha, though, uh, Druzba, New CSA, battling hard at the top. It's been a busy schedule for them. They've had a few midweek games cropping up. Great to see Vas back, and they picked up a point against Kremlin's second team, so uh, both of them now are on one point and a minus goal difference of God knows how many, but it's looking like cricket scores again uh, amongst them. My team, neither Vanitza, are mid-table nobodies at the moment. and It's quite a sad state of affairs when these historic clubs still struggle to get their acts into gear and uh, fail to put any sort of promotion challenge together. I think we've briefly summed it all up there. Victoria McLivka, the only PFL team still in the cup. As we've gone into the quarterfinal stage, I want to say. And well, actually, it's uh, them and FC FSC Mariupol, who are playing Zoria this week. Ah, it's the catch-up so, game, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so for whatever reason, that was moved, and... Here we are. They're going to be playing each other um, on Wednesday, I believe, to try and see whether Mariupol can become the next or the second team in the hat for, for the next round. But Definitely so. Because they come on the PFL there. Go on. We want to get another team, don't we, Ray? <laughs> into, into the last state of the cup. Keeps it interesting for all of us. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for myself, I might just add that uh, rise of Kudrivka is impressive. So yesterday's amateur team at number five in uh, Druhaliha right now. But clearly, as I mentioned my expectations before um, in the pod, uh, right now we could see that the um, clubs who can afford it are top of the table. Uh, surprisingly, it's Druzhba Mirivka as well, yesterday's amateurs, and who are sponsored by all Ukrainian um, security holding. But uh, they are located in Kiev Oblast, which might uh, add some to their um, to the way they run the club. Uh, my team in Druhali is Kala, 1911, Legends, and they are pretty close to the top five. Although we, we can't be sure how they're going to reform the leagues uh, next season, like which teams are going to promote to Persia or not. Um, a lot of second teams in Druha as well. And Vas recently opened their academy, mind you. Or Mikolai nineteen twenty whatever, and yeah, those uh, minus thirty goal difference with Kremlin second team is impressive. That's something I would like to see next major day. We've been going a fair while, gents, but now we're getting down to the serious business. So we got that. Oh, what a ball into Madrid! Is this his moment? Yes, it is. A huge moment for him, for his team. 
Mikhail Mudrik's first Chelsea goal, and it's a big one. It puts the Blues in front of the cottage. Watch the weight disappear off those shoulders. We have an international weekend coming up, don't we? And it is a a biggie, a real biggie. Um, Andrew, have we got to this stage now where these matches have got so much importance? They're both must-wins, to say the least. Six-pointer uh, is essential. Similar to, this is a repeat of Sedhira Brov's first international break in charge back from, from back in June when... Uh, he got two wins, hard fought <laughs> to say the very least. Mm-hmm. The two coming back from two nil down to win three two in Skopje against North Macedonia, and then one nil uh, against Malta in Slovakia. Obviously, the reverse fixtures now, and following the results from September, which I think we haven't we haven't actually had a pod since that those results. So obviously, we got the we got the draw against England just as a. Simon predicted in in the last in the last podcast, but sadly lost to Italy, two uh, one. But a game that was a weird one, really, um, from Ukraine's perspective. They it was a classic case of second game syndrome, in my opinion. Um, a lot of players were off the ball. Zinchenko, in particular, one of his worst games in a Ukraine shirt, in my opinion. Just really had just unable to sort of find passes, control the tempo like he likes to do in the middle of the park. Um, Italy scored two early goals, and throughout the second half, Ukraine just couldn't get back into it. Slight shades of uh, Shakhtar really against Porto, in my opinion. It was it was, sort of was a similar uh, perspective from from that respect because there was a couple of a couple of issues um, defensively for Ukraine in that Italy game, but it can all still be in Ukraine's own hands because Italy, they're playing against England in this window uh, at Wembley. So as long as England does a favour and beat Italy, because I think England needs to win to secure top of the group and win in the group and all that, then that should be perfect. Because then that means that as long as Ukraine win both games, then it will all be down on that final fixture against Italy in a match day, whatever it is, in November to put it all to to put it all to bed. At the moment, it's being rumoured that Leverkusen will be the home base for that game. Let's see how it goes. But back to this week. And I mentioned those games in June. Who was the match winner in both of them? Viktor Tsahankov. How instrumental has he been really for Ukraine? Over the sort of past two windows minimum, huge. And even for Girona, he's been immense. But he's out for the month due to a hamstring problem. And on top of that, Andriy Yarmolko is also out, as I've mentioned previously in this pod. And we don't know what's wrong with him. I'm try- I'll am i hopefully try and find something out about what that is on international break at some stage. Or hopefully Dynamo can actually share that with us because we're still waiting. So that's both our first choice, first and second choice, Right-wingers and support strikers, if we're going through some of uh, Rebrov's other formations, what's going to happen and how detrimental will missing both of those players be, seeing that the right-wing options, you know, you can shrug your shoulders, really. Zubkov is probably the standout that you think that will probably or should start in at least one of them, at least against North Macedonia at a minimum. You've got Vanat, who could potentially play there. I think he came on and was playing in and around there um, against Italy in the final 10, 15 minutes or so. Nazari Rusin has been called up in addition due to Yaromolenko being out. Nazari Rusin has played like, I think, less than 30 minutes in total for Sunderland seniors. That is, he, he played uh, about 60 minutes or so for the under 21s a couple of weeks ago but he's not really fully hit the ground running following his own injury that was kept him out for about a month and a half you know it'll be difficult to see whether he actually features or not because he was called up remember in that June window and he didn't make the matchday squad for any of them but similarly he was an additional person 
And then finally, you've got the recall of Malinowski. We know that Malinowski has played right mid or right wing before for Ukraine. Two relatively negative results <laughs> because he just doesn't have the pace or... I don't know. I don't know. He's always seen as some sort of right attacking mid or right forward or something by his club. But in my opinion, that's just not his position at all. He should be a right central midfielder, really, if he wants to, or you know, a, a central attacking midfielder where he can get involved in in things. And whether he's actually going to be able to feature is another question because, based on recent form, if you want to play an attacking midfielder, it's probably going to be someone like Bialski who I'd rather put in there because. At least there is something going on from him. And he really impressed in Malta in that sort of second half cameo that he had, um, mm -hmm. where he sort of looked really sharp. I think the big current debate right now, I think this one's for both of you, whoever wants to take it. What formation would Abrov go for? Will he just carry on going for his standard one, where Mudrik will probably play on the left despite his... Uh, recent injury against Fulham where he's not played against Burnley at the weekend. Will he still start on the left? Will Zubkov start on the right and then just play centre forward? And then there's the question of who starts at centre forward. Dovbik been okay at Girona, not too bad. Probably the most in form out of the three forwards that we've got. Vanat probably I would go second choice and then Yadam Chuk. But like we saw, Yadam Chuk actually started against England. Showed next to nothing <laughs> really in that match. But he started, so it's all up in the air. How, how are we going with this sort of forward line? Yeah, since you mentioned it, Andrew, I was just thinking, as long as it doesn't involve Sidorchu coming out in the last 10 minutes, I'm good with any formation. And to add up to that question, uh, the last time I remember Ebrov using uh, three defenders, I mean, sorry, I didn't watch his uh, Ferenc Farosh or Arab, Arab club so much, but I remember he played uh, when he had lack of footballers, when he had Gladki, in his squad, he opted to play three defenders and three uh, half spaces in attack, uh, which were Gar Harmash and um, I don't remember, but I definitely remember Harmash there. Uh, would he do that now? I don't know, but that was my favorite Rebrov style of play. Although they lost to Zirka and some other sides, but that was epic to see. That was bold. Uh, sorry, just stood up. Uh, as we know, recently the Libero formation is coming back, so why not? I mean, good old Lovanovsky standards? Yeah, there's potential in it. I mean, I was... A couple of different Ukrainian YouTube channels, obviously, Vatsko, Tatotokar, um, KDK, all of them have sort of been mooting different options in hit, hit on what we're going to see here. But I feel that it's going to be difficult to really instill a three at the back just for these two games. Cause I, I I'm just because they haven't played in that formation at all under him over the past five games. So they've had I feel that to bring that in right now with five days or so before the big game, and the fact that these are must win, it might be a bit too much to be honest, just midway through this campaign. For me, for me, I agree with you that the four, at the back is, I think, the way to go forward. It's it's something where they're comfortable with there. The North Macedonia game is going to be a very different type of game to Malta. Malta's going to be a, can you break the door down? It's going to need the creative midfielders there, whereas I feel there's some sort of, there's a bit of confidence now about North Macedonia where they're going to try to play Ukraine and that will open space up more for for the wing play in particular, where there's going to be space there to exploit Modric Zubkov for me. If he's fit and healthy and he's good to go, that would be the game to wheel him out on on using wheeling in particular there. Um yeah, no Sidajuk, please ever. No, 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 no. I I I mean, I like the four-three-three, and there are the players there to to fit it. Um, but I would want to see it. I think people are going to have to be prepared in the Malta game for it to be a bit like the home match, where it's going to be they're going to say, "Come break us down." Nobody goes to Malta anymore and smashes them six, seven, eight nil. 
you know, it's the new it's the new world of football. Go there and a one nil with it bouncing off Gerson Rodriguez's backside in the ninety third minute, even though he's nowhere near the pitch. Who cares? <laughs> you know, it's it's still three points, and that's what's going to matter from from that game. It's it's a tricky one. It's going to need someone to unlock it. Boyelski would be great again in that match, I think, because he brings something different, uh, in particular to the squad. The we've spoken about many times over the last couple of years why he hasn't been in the squad is why he might be useful in this game in particular because he offers that difference. It's not something that, you know, their team's going to watch Ukrainian matches and they know what Ukraine can bring. And we know what Ukraine, when it sets up in a match, will bring. So something different in that one that can just unlock a bit of space around the box could be the difference and get the get the three points home in a, in a more comfortable way, which is what I know people want. And sometimes I think people unjustly want they they don't give the respect to the opposition that's deserved. And with that, I think we'll see. I mean, six points is not only the wish, but I think it's got to be the expectation from this window. It's achievable, um, even with the injuries. I think questions will be asked if it's not achieved. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just before we move on to the under-21s to round up the show, worth mentioning about Mudrik. I was at Fulham-Chelsea when he scored his first goal and you could just see the sort of relief that came from him scoring that. On top of that, you could feel that that was coming for, I guess, I don't know, maybe one or two games prior to it. And the fact that he's got that just before this window, I think is a very positive thing. Because he, now that Tankov is unable to be that kind of game changer, etc., I think Mudrik is going to have to try and step up. And remember that sort of first window of his, when he got his first call-up, when Ukraine were playing those friendlies against the clubs, against Borussia Mönchengladbach and he just scored a very similar goal to what he did against uh, Fulham, where he sort of chested it down, beat the keeper on that res- on that side, and then just sort of finished. But you just felt that there is a something going on there. It's a shame that obviously he did come off in the in at half time during that Fulham game, which didn't sort of allow him to play out. I don't know at least another 15, 20 minutes or so just to get keep that consistency going. But, I mean, he came on for the final 15 against Burnley, um, looked okay, got some. I feel that this is this is where it's at. Fingers crossed he can get it. One other thing is I feel that questions, I don't know, maybe not being asked, but Sudakov um, probably hasn't been as influential, I guess, or as as brilliant as, as we've seen from him, um, maybe since that last international break, um, both for Shakhtar during the Italy game, he had a few slips. We remember he had to change his boots and then he just didn't look really at it. This, I think is a big opportunity for him. These two games again, to, to, to reinstill that, get back on his feet and show where it's done, especially now that there is, like you say, there's a slight bit of competition for that third midfielder spot at the moment, because obviously I think Stepanenko and Zinchenko are going to be shoo-ins and then it's really like who who's going to fit the style better, per se. And let's see where it goes from there. But yeah, Adam, under-21s, they're going to your neck of the woods this week, aren't they? Uh, they're already what- here, mate. You don't know. We've been in Luxembourg since April of last year and I'm working... In the low, in the BGL, the local league here, in the with one of the teams working as an analyst, so it's it's a very unique experience for me. This under twenty one game, as the Luxembourg under twenty one side has eight or nine players who I watch on a on a weekly basis, and it's a Ukrainian side that I've been watching for years develop and looking forward looking forward to it on. Uh, Thursday night, Dan Inesh, town of 50,000, I should add. 
Um, should be say should be a good day. From the Ukrainian side, it's great to see Kuchiriari back in the squad, isn't it? Eh? Um, we're hoping to have a chance to have a chat on Thursday before the game. Looking forward to that. Hopefully, Andrew, I'll be able to bump into Igor and tell him how much I enjoyed your interview with him a few weeks ago. It's a, a, a lo lovely interview that was and very well written up, I should add, as well. Ray, a couple of uh, your guys as well. Oh, I can't wait to see from uh, Rook and that from earlier in the season. Any in particular from you who you think I should keep an eye on? Obviously, Igor Krasnopir. I'm pretty sure he's going to start, and he is the forward as they come. He is not as as shady, uh, non unorthodox as Andrew called him as Budkiewski. He's the guy who can pass. He has he can finish. And when I say he can finish, I mean Obul and Kiev. And as I mentioned previously, it's the goals are hard to come by. So this guy's kind of is balanced, you know. And last season I mentioned that he could score uh, English Premier League style, like the, the goal for the highlights. I'm still of that opinion. And he, this guy played in amateurs last year. So he is now in the Ukrainian national team under 21 and it's it's a huge um yeah I have a lot of belief in this guy and he surprisingly fits my style of play I mean honestly if you ask me like would I play someone like Peter Crouch or Jermaine Defoe I would go for the balanced option and he is the one I mean in terms of the group it's going to be a big match as well you know obviously Luxembourg won in not again in Northern Ireland on their opening match there. Ukraine beat Northern Ireland as well. Luxembourg um, then lost to it, lost to England. Um, a game of, I was at again and just the English physicality dominated that one. But watch out, and I will say this to anyone tuning into the game, there's some feisty tackling from the Luxembourgers. They, they, like, they like a punch-up. And it may happen in the, in the game as well. So it could be a, it's going to be a tough test and it'll be a, should be, it should be a good game to watch. Well, that's followed up then, of course, uh, in Kasichi. Yeah. Then uh, the under-21s will travel across to face England just after the weekend. I think the game's on Monday uh, evening. It'll be a tough game. You know, England obviously won the, the tournament last summer, or this summer, in fact, as it is, and uh, deservedly so. I see, Seeing them up close and personal, you see the benefit of youth players spending all that time in Premier League academies. And the great thing for us here at Ukraine Plus Football is players like Igor Yaramilok, even Max Kuchiriari, I remember watching him when he first started sort of making media appearances at St Johnston before his loan at Brecon. And we thought that poor lad's going to get kicked to pieces in the Highland League, but he hit the gym, he bulked up, and he's really changed his physicality. And it is such an important part of football today that, you know, if you do have the opportunity to watch the game on Monday, look at the size of those English guys and the power they possess on the pitch at a young age. And that is what getting the Ukrainian players into the English academies, which what we've, you know, we've we've seen three go across into four, in fact, as well, with the, the lad at Swansea over the last sort of 18, 24 months. It's a good sign and the development they're going to get, even if they're not playing first team football, it's going to be immense. And really benefit you know, with Rusin and uh, the young lad at Sunderland as well to throw into the mix there. It's, it's going to be really beneficial. And I think Monday will be a great opportunity to see where those benefits could lead the under-21s and the under-19s uh, in the future. Sorry, oh man, I've gone on a run there, haven't I? <laughs> Wake up, everybody. We've almost finished. Uh, gents. It's been a good one. It's been a good one. Wow. I hope everyone's stayed to the end. Arthur, we've managed to somehow. Um, Ray, where will you be watching the games over the weekend? 
Uh, it's a huge time difference. So that would be, um, I believe, midday or around that time. It's a huge, it's a huge issue with the UPL because the Opelon games are at 4 a.m. here. So you should should pay some uh, respects to my sacrifice sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be good uh, good um, week of football ahead. Definitely. Andrew, I assume you're going to be in Prague and Malta? Absolutely. Fingers crossed for all six points. Um, we'll see what happens with the fans because obviously there's the wafer ban per se on part of the stadium in Prague is going to be closed and Malta, there's no away sector per se, um, due to apparently racist behaviour from Ukraine during Rotslav and Italy. I'm not sure why or what that is to do. Uh, UAF haven't really even elaborated on it because I'm sure that probably lawyers and stuff are dealing with trying to work that all out and hopefully we might find out about that either in the coming days or at least, um, you know, at some stage. But, I mean, if you ever wanted to have a ban, probably Malta away is the game to have it in and not against Italy at home in, you know, next month. So fingers crossed everything goes about the problems. We've actually, that Italy game still has something to play for. <laughs> and mm. uh, yeah, fingers crossed. We, I'm not sure when we'll be back because obviously, as we mentioned, a lot of us are in different time zones. A lot of us are doing different projects and stuff all the time at the moment so fingers crossed guys you will hear from us sooner than our last pod <laughs> but you know you never know just just treasure it <laughs> definitely so definitely so uh and until whenever that time may be stay safe and from all of us goodbye for now bye-bye <laughs>